What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? No. Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You're in Germany? Yeah. Were and you wearing I, Lederhausen? I was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely was. And I was drinking steins of beer. And I just got this overwhelming need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to House Hamburg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but the German Shepherds. So I bought one of their Dutchies. Oh. Man. The best. Shit-mouthing German shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and so so then in this dream, I, I finished my giant beer and mm-hmm. I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that Dutchie mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane yep. because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. Right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this Dutchie that I've got. Wait. Were you in Canada or were you in the US? Well, I was in North America or somewhere. It's not important exactly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach LaPointe. Mach LaPointe. I just got onto Canon Dynamics and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was Wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, then I'm out training this Dutchie mm-hmm. in his all of his fancy equipment. The yep. Dutchie that I got from House Hamburg Shepherds mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canine Dynamics. Yep. And then I was training in dog park because that's how I train. Mm-hmm. And there were some people and they had some <laughs> sort of unruly behavior from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia. and uh, Fancy I, that. I thought, I said to them, they were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't no, want to. I'm a dog part daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, fuck you, I don't want to. Yep. But I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia, while you're at work and will do like a little bit of a training session with your dog while you're gone. No way. You're not talking about Melanie Benway. It was Melanie Benway I was Bloody talking hell. about. Kindred Canine. So I g- gave those details. Anyway, so I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this Dutchie. Mm-hmm. And then I had to come back to Australia yep. and I brought the dog. Wow. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. Oh, he left it all there. I left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs, harnesses. Dog mills. Blah, 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 blah. Bullfed Central. Einswick dog quip. Einswick Bullfed. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around mm-hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Hamburg Shepherds. Yeah. Well, I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom crate bill by the Buffed. Wow. Einswick.com. Einzawiener? Einzawiener. Yeah. Einzawiener. Yeah. So after your dream, when you woke up, did you wake up with a boner? You've ruined it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hello, Pat Stewart. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm well. 
It's cold today. You can certainly feel the difference in the air, can't you? Like yeah. we've been enjoying warm nights and fairly warm days as well. But last night I was out toileting Ladybug at about 11 o'clock and, you know, I went to walk outside and I literally turned around and went back and put a jumper on. That was the first time in about four months I've actually had to do that. Mm, weather's mm. changing, that's for sure. Yeah, especially when you look at the weather map and you can start seeing clouds starting to blow up from Victoria. You know the weather pattern has changed then when it's not coming across the west of the country or coming from the north. But when as soon as it starts blowing up from the south, you think, oh, yeah, here it comes. Mm. Mm. But at least we aren't getting snowed on. Like a lot of European countries and North America really got smashed by snow Mm. in places where they usually don't get hit by it. Mm. Strange, hey? Mm. So should we start introducing you as Glenn Cook, Mr. Clubhouse? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Go on there. Nowhere near as much as you. I like Clubhouse. I can tell. I like listening to some of the interesting conversations on there. Like what I do like about it and the angle that I'm coming from, and you and I and Simon, who was just here visiting, were talking about this in the kitchen before, but the angle I do like about it is that I think it's really starting to heal some relationships in the positive and the balanced training community because Mm -hmm. I think people, now that they're actually having physical conversations with each other, They're not misinterpreting each other, which is really adding value to conversations. Like there are people there that I probably wouldn't have considered having a conversation with because I would have thought it probably won't get anywhere when you're typing things in over social media. But now that you can actually speak to them and you can hear each other talking, there is value in some of the conversation. So that's one of the things that I've really appreciated about it. And this was an app when George first got us on there. I kind of thought to myself, ah, oh, you know, I don't know how well I'm going to go with this, but there are so many different angles of conversations that you can have there. But I mean, it's not just dog related. Like I've been sitting in a couple of tech rooms and mm-hmm. listening to people talk. I was listening to Dead Mouse talk the other day, you know, like he does techno and stuff like that. I do like techno music. So I've got a like a broad range. We can tell by the intro. Yeah, but um, I've got a broad palette in music. Like I like everything, even on guitar, I'm learning classical on guitar at the moment. I love the sound of classical on guitar, Mm -hmm. but I think the only sort of music genre that I'm not really into is heavy metal and grunge and stuff like that. But Mm. I appreciate some of the songs, like there's some that are really good. But, you know, like getting to listen directly to somebody that, you know, I used to go to rave parties when I was much younger and hearing that's dead mouse in a room, like talking in a room. And if you want to, you can go up on stage and have a conversation with them. Yeah. So some of those things, the access to different people are pretty cool on those type of things. Yeah. I think that one of the issues I'm finding with Clubhouse, not to have another Clubhouse podcast, but Mm. is uh, I'm really uncomfortable in some of the rooms, especially if I go in, sometimes people ask me to come up on the stage and then they're like, it can be hard to tell what the topic of a room is when you first get in there and whether it's dog trainers discussing you know, detailed topics. Yep. And then you can't necessarily control who's hearing that. And, you know, the language around it might leave people behind and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard to know how to talk. But also what I really dislike is the rooms that's like, hey, here's the free dog training advice rooms. And it's like, come up and ask your dog training questions because I think that's really dangerous. I think Mm -hmm. that's a really dangerous thing to do because chances are if somebody is uh, just a pet owner and they're in clubhouse looking to get a question answered, the chances that they're correctly explaining the situation as it is really unfolding with the dog and giving you all the necessary bits of detail that Mm. are required to actually answer a question along those lines is slim to none. And I think that people who are doing that are 
you know, just doing that to sort of try and build a profile around it or whatever. And I think that that's an incredibly dangerous thing to do. And so like, as soon as I, as soon as I realized that's what's going on, I'm out. Like, yeah. I, I just think that that's a very irresponsible and dangerous thing to do is be mm-hmm. like, you know, my dog's aggressive and he's barking at the neighbor. What's the best way to fix that? Like, and it's like, that's get a trainer around. That's, that's, the that's best what way I've been to saying to people in those get a rooms. Trainer. Yeah. Like yeah. there's been a couple of times where I have been ambushed by those questions. Like, as you said before, there are rooms that I'm in where it's trainers talking to trainers. And then, you know, like you'll say, oh, if somebody's got something to add to this conversation, come up on stage and somebody will raise their hand. Sure enough, it'll be a pet dog person asking like a completely left of field question. Like, oh, my dog's aggressive and it's doing this. And I'll say, you need a trainer. Like yeah. you need you need to actually get someone to come around and you need to do lessons with someone. Yeah. You know my stance on this. I hate doing aggression cases online anyway. I, I think it's highly irresponsible. I have given some advice over the COVID period where people have become desperate because nobody could come over there. So I have done some consults, but it comes with huge caveats as well. Like I tell people, you've got to be so damn careful with this. Like you are at a very high risk of being bitten and you have to acknowledge that that is the outcome when you're starting to play with these type of things. Like this will catch you unawares if you're not careful. And as soon as you can have access to a physical trainer who's competent in this field, then you need to shift gears and work with that person immediately. Yeah. So under duress, I did compromise slightly my stance on that, but only because I knew they had no alternative and they were really stuck without it. So Yeah, and I think there's a huge difference between someone booking an hour-long session with you and you having a long back and forth and being able to you know share video and discuss the specifics of a mm. thing, whereas someone who just jumps on stage in Clubhouse exactly. and asks a, what they think is going to be a – one-liner and unfortunately in a lot of groups where we hear it they just do get these one-liner answers and Mm. like i've been horrified at some of the advice that i've heard on there it makes my skin crawl i Mm. think this is really dangerous i think it's been very very concerning to me I'm, i'm really concerned about some of the stuff that i hear in there and i think a big concern that i have in clubhouse is like anyone can start a dog training room and go like dog training advice ask me your questions with no evidence that they've ever trained a dog or have any idea what is going on. So at least Mm. not that I am advocating Facebook or Instagram or anything like that, but at least there's a body of work that you have to first present and then people can decide on whether that body of work justifies you being able to answer their question and then they can contact you and whether they're paying or whether they're asking for free advice, which everybody seems to do, like no matter which path it goes down, mm. you first have to establish yourself as I know what I'm talking about. But in these clubhouse rooms, like two or three people who are friends can give the inference that they're much more skilled than they are, mm. get on a stage, get a bunch of people in there and give really dangerous advice. Mm. And when questioned, this is one of the issues as well is, you know, I don't want to be an argumentative person. But I also sort of have the moral and ethical dilemma of do I sit here and watch someone get advice that's going to be dangerous Mm. or do I interject and say, hey, actually, that's not true. And now I'm having relationship problems and I am, you know, I'm the argumentative guy because I've had to come in and say like, hey, in the interest of your safety, Mm. you shouldn't do that. That's bad advice. And I have tried to find ways when I have found myself sort of backed into that corner of doing that 
as least confrontationally as possible, yeah. right? But sometimes people get their backs up about that kind of stuff. And when you're hearing someone just straight misrepresenting something, it can be really dangerous. Mm. And and I suppose that is happening everywhere and we're just not hearing it and we're now hearing it on Clubhouse. But yeah, it's very concerning to me. And the other thing that worries me about Clubhouse as well is people can see when you're in another room. So like I have interests away from dogs that I don't really want to necessarily cross those over, <laughs> right? So like when people, uh, you know, like I'm in a certain room and then people will be messaging me now saying like, hey, I didn't know you're into that. And it's like, I'm not with you. Go away. Yeah. So Bill Church is avid and open about his cannabis use. Just to support Bill sometimes, I'll go into a room because I don't know what the title of the room is. Like I don't know all the codes for cannabis and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Like openly, I'm not a cannabis connoisseur. It doesn't agree with me anyway, but I'm just not a connoisseur of cannabis. And I'm not opposed to it or, you know, like I actually think that they should relax the laws around it and so forth, but that's a debate for another time. But Bill goes into a lot of cannabis rooms and I've been in there and it's just like stoners talking stoner talk, (laughs) which I don't get. Like I don't understand the nuance or the rhetoric behind it. And then like you said, people have said, hey, I didn't know you're a smoker. And I said, I'm not. Yeah. I don't do it. And again, nothing against people who enjoy it and want to. Like when we're in Colorado and it was open and free, like drinking a bottle of wine, like you can do what you want. I think that that should be available to people, Yeah, you know, consumed properly and abiding by the the local laws and everything. So I'm getting all my caveats out of the way earlier. But people have come in and seen me in the room and said, oh, man, you know, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not what you think. It's just I'm just supporting a friend. Yeah. So and it's interesting, though, because it's kind of like someone being able to see all your podcast history, right? Mm. Like everything you listen to. And you go like, well, you know, I listen to a lot of different stuff. I'm across a lot of different things. Yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's it's like someone being able to see your search history as yeah. well. Like, okay, what rooms are you in yeah. and what are your interests? How much porn are you downloading? <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, so it's it's really, mm. it's a interesting, it, it's been very interesting. It but is. There's some things in there that really do concern me. But nonetheless, this is going to be the shift in culture now because there are other platforms now taking on Clubhouse. Yeah esque style of well, social no doubt, media. No doubt Facebook will offer to buy them when they refuse. Well, Facebook I think they're inventing their own one. Twitter's yeah. doing their own one allegedly. So I think all these platforms have seen that this is the future. So whether we like it or not, like we actually sound like the grandpas against new fangled style of music. But I do share your concerns and there are thoughts that I have around them. And I do get up on stage and I do talk to people, but I am selective about what I'll answer. And I'm cautious with my responses. It's not that I'm going to say everything perfectly or well-rounded every time I get up there, but I am nonetheless concerned about who is in the audience and who's listening as well sometimes, especially when topics start to get on sensitive subject matter, which can easily be misconstrued. And Mm. then people can take that information and use it against you or the industry or whatever. And many of us, and I'm including this in in broad term, but there's many of us who are, are good bastions of our industry And I'd like that to continue and I just don't want to have one trigger word or one conversation being totally being misread or misaligned that then the general public can go away and saying, oh, but you said this, Mm. you know, and then totally use that as their bashing point to go after you. Yeah. As I say, my big concern is just that it's very difficult to vet people and sometimes I've I've been in rooms and people are talking about, you know, say tools or bite sports or Mm. whatever and- you know, I recognize pretty quickly, like, you know, as much about bite sports as I do about being a fucking astronaut. Like, yep. And you're talking with authority to untold number of people that just because you started the room, okay, like you're the one that knows the stuff. And mm. it's like, no, you've never done it. And I know that. 
because of the way you're speaking, you don't know shit about it, but you've heard some buzzwords and now you're, you know, contributing to the, the pop culture about it. Well, funnily enough, that aligns with the subject matter that I want to have because I've, I have been somewhat concerned. It's no secret that when I took over the Canine Paradigm Instagram page, like I started to get invested in how- the meme to, usage. Yeah, the meme usage <laughs> and- But making, you know, like having a bit of fun with it as well and turning that as well into our community on Instagram. But then I started to go around and thinking, well, I need to learn about Instagram and how it works and follow the metrics and the guidelines and what other people are doing and, mm-hmm. you know, get a bit under its skin. And what I discovered on there, like most social media, is there is a culture and subculture in a lot of these social media platforms that you've sort of got to get your head around. And, you know, like I've been following and a lot of good influencers in our market are following us, such as Jillian from Yolo Pup. And there's Khaleesi Dobe, who are some of the influencers that I've seen online. One of the things that I really like about what they're doing is they're really immersing themselves within the industry and they're educating themselves well on what's going on. And they're not claiming to be the authority on what's happening. Like they're bringing people up from different platforms and different backgrounds that are, that are authorities and they're interviewing them and they're talking to them and they're adding to their database of knowledge. Whereas... On the flip side of that, there have been other influences out there that are really giving complicated information out that's not accurate. And I don't really think that they're spending enough time to realize that what they're saying can have an impact on our industry. So the encouragement that I'm trying to have with some of these people is get invested and learn a bit more about the subject matter that you're talking about. And if you don't know what you're talking about, like lay claim to that. Just say that I'm looking to learn more about this industry. I'm looking to add to my background and my knowledge. And I'm doing that by interviewing or talking with people who are an authority in the industry. And that's going to help all of us together. Because I think if people are just blind to the metrics of just being good marketers and just looking to farm likes into their Instagram accounts or their Facebook accounts or Clubhouse or whatever the platform is, it doesn't really serve our industry well. Mm. What it does is it puts us behind because they're misrepresenting the hard work that a lot of really talented men and women around the globe have been working, you know, not just in the last year, but decades for, and the legacy that they're trying to introduce to more trainers who are coming up in the field and they're passing that information on and adding to their background and, you know, and to their futures as well. These things can be easily undone almost overnight and people's reputations can be crushed and ruined just by the selfish actions of people who are really only going at it for vanity. It's a very interesting dichotomy. So Katie, who's Norm the GSD on Instagram, she's done, she does a great job as well, like a really big following. And what I noticed from her and others, when they get asked specific training examples, rather than giving advice themselves, Mm. they usually grab content from another trainer and answer with that. And so be like, oh, here's the same question asked of whatever training page. Kudos. Here's here's the direction to there and it answers your question and opens your world to training opportunities. Mm. And then of course gives their own, like, you know, their experience with it and why it's relevant to them and all that kind of stuff. But it is very, very concerning when you see people just straight giving training advice Mm. That from their sample pool of one. Yeah. And 
That's a good point. That's yeah. a really good point. And and I think we can sometimes forget. And like you know, I've even been guilty of doing this. Is you portray how you want to portray on online. Mm. Here's a good example. Remy has his own Instagram, right? And I used to put a lot of training stuff on there, but he's not really learning anything new at the moment. So it's mostly just pictures of him hanging out on the couch or doing funny stuff or whatever, right? And you know, when I would say go to my sister's house. He's in work mode because he plays in their yard and stuff and I don't take him in the house. So he then just hangs out out there and runs around in circles and I usually leave him with something to be entertained there. So he looks like a typical Malina, right? Like he's just going mental all the time. Mm. And then she looks at his Instagram and sees these pictures of him upside down asleep. Well, she's never seen him not running around in circles, like Mm. never seen that. And then one day when she actually came over to my house uh, and he was there and he's asleep upside down on the couch and doesn't even get off the couch when she walks in, she actually said to me, she goes, I thought you were faking that. Like I thought you were telling him to get in because she knows how much obedience I have on him and how I can tell him to do pretty much anything, but left to his own. Like in her view, left to his own devices, he's lunatic, right? Because at her house, he is that. Mm. But, you know, we put a lot of work into not, expressing much drive in the house and just chilling out and, you know, relaxing. And she thought for sure I was faking that. It was like you're telling him to sleep upside down so that I could get a photo of it to put up. And so, but I think what happens is that does happen a lot, right? In that you see people who are, look at the life I live live with my dog and here's this snapshot and here's this snapshot and it's highly edited and it's highly stylized and it's exactly what I want to portray because that's how marketing works. Like Mm. you don't put up the the bad stuff, right? So I think sometimes you see people who are giving advice or or appear to be living a particular way with their dog. Mm but aren't really, yep. right? Like, cause you can, you can make anything like online, you're, you control the narrative. Of course right? you do. Yeah. So you can make anything appear any way you like, you mm. can edit footage, you can get still shots, you can do all kinds of stuff to make it appear as though your dog is whatever it is. And you are whatever you want people to think you are, which has been one of the interesting things I think about clubhouses because you're on, you're on the spot. So people have to answer Right there and then, yep. right? And so that's been very interesting to me to see some people crumble or people give, you know, say things that you wouldn't expect. That's off brand for them because mm. their brand doesn't have time to catch up with their actual brain when they're on the spot and they mm. just say these things. So Yeah, well, they can – sometimes it can – sometimes it can expose you as an empty vessel. Mm. But it's, it's tricky because for the average person – first of all, we're in a tricky spot because – they're not listening to us, right? Mm. The average person that is going to ask dog training advice from an influencer on on any social media platform, they're not listening to us, right? Mm. So any advice we give is just to the fucking wall, so it's pointless. But it's really tricky. Like, how do you determine that? I don't know necessarily because some of the people that you see with that that I know personally really do live their best life with their dog like that. And it's not bullshit. Like this is totally how they live their life and they are intuitive with their dog and they just, they don't necessarily give out dog training information, but whatever they do give is good and poignant or they just go, Hey, it's outside my wheelhouse, refer you to this person. Mm. So there's plenty of people that really like that. 
there's people who are really heavily in the dog training community, but are not dog trainers. Mm. And they're usually, like I say, often the best ones. And they're responsible for the growth of the platform for a lot of actual dog trainers mm. because they do steer people you know, to that, like their lifestyle content. And they put out that kind of info. And when people ask you know, specifics of training, they point them towards dog trainers. Yeah. And, and I think as trainers, we should be really thankful of those people. So we Absolutely. have to be really careful not to say dog influencers are all bad. No, right? no, 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 not so at all. We need to be very thankful for them and, and appreciate them. Mm. But then there is people that this is the way to do it. And my big concern around that kind of stuff and where I see it sort of become an issue is when they really don't understand dog training and they, a lot of those people have easy breeds and have had an easy experience with those breeds. And mm. that's not to take away that they have done a good job raising their dog. Mm. If their dog really is as they portray it on Instagram, then that's, you know, not to take away from their capability to have done that. Sometimes I've seen people essentially release a lynch mob onto actual trainers because they just can't understand what's going on. Mm. I saw that years ago to a real working dog kennel over the fact that their dogs are in kennels. It wasn't even a training thing. It was the fact that the dogs were outside in the snow. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that, that's the realities of working dogs. And, and, and I think some people... You, you just don't get that. That's fine. Like I, I, I understand they don't know it, but you can build a sort of groundswell very easily of people who also don't know anything, but are supporters of them. Years ago, there was a big influence. It was outside. They weren't a dog influencer. I've got to choose my words carefully because she's an extremely litigious person, this one, right? Mm-hmm. But she put a photo on her Instagram of her dog and her kid it was bad. I can't remember that a photo was a video, but the dog was uncomfortable and it was a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. And a dog trainer or a well-educated person in that space would see that. And a trainer we both know here in Australia sent her a private message. So it wasn't public. They didn't comment publicly or whatever, but sent her a private message saying like, actually, that's a pretty strong stress signal from your dog. That's quite a dangerous situation for your baby to be in. Mm-hmm. She screenshotted it and publicly fucking sent the lynch mob after her and and was like, how dare you tell me how to parent my kid and blah, 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 all right? Made this big deal about it. But the thing is, for those people that their job is to make online content and constantly be yeah, they need to keep you online to buy their eventual product that they're selling to how you. How right? diabolical. So any content, they feign this whole I'm offended. How dare you, you know, tell me how it is to be a parent. I know parenting better than it. It's my kid. It's my dog. All the bullshit, right? Mm. But they could give a fuck. They're just like, yes, content, mm. right? Because you see this a lot. Like, uh, you know, one of the meme pages I like to follow, if anybody shitmouths him, he loves that. It's the best because then he screenshots it and creates content from that. And his job, like, you know, to keep an Instagram sort of going the way that he does, he needs 10 posts a day. Yep. That's hard work to come up with 10 memes a day. Mm. So instead, when he offends someone and they complain about it, now that's the new content. And mm. I create a flow over that. And yeah, by doing that, maybe you lose a few people, but what they do is gain heaps more. Like the net yeah. uh, profit is way higher. So it's a really tricky situation. Like it's a really, it's hard. Mm. And, and I think to avoid that as dog trainers, people who really do understand dog training, I found myself saying this to someone the other day. It wasn't to do with dog training so much as you know, a different aspect of military guys, but I was talking about before you take a photo ever, 
right? And I think this relates to us, especially in the bite sports, especially as balance trainers, the way you would train a dog, everything, right? Before you take any photos, you have to consider if that photo was in your phone, would you show it to someone without explaining any context? Mm. Because that's how it will be viewed one day. You yep. will not be there to give the context. And even if you write something and it has the context, it will be screenshotted and that will be cut out. So like what I have encouraged this guy that I was talking to, and it's certainly something I try to live by, is that never take a photo and certainly never post a photo that you would be would not be happy to just go like, here it is, take it at face value. Mm. You should never have anything in your phone or especially not online where before someone views it, you say, okay, before you check this out, I need to explain the context to you in which it was taken or what was going on or the trend at the time or the personal joke I have between me and the other person in this photo or whatever mm. because you won't get the opportunity to do that forever. The book, The Madness of Crowds, it literally talks about this point where people go back through history of people's tweets and in their Facebook content to find something where they can fucking hang that person on yeah. and expose them to the world to say, you know, like you're talking about this, but- 10 years ago, you had a different view or you said some slanderous things about this subject matter. So therefore you're a hypocrite and you should be hung for it. Mm. Sometimes you're not that same person. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But that's the thing that people need to try and accept and take into their mind that like the person I was 10 years ago, I'm not that same person. Yeah. I'm not even the same person I was five years ago. I'm similar to that person, but I'm different and I think different and I feel different about things that I didn't feel about the same way 10 years ago. It's not to say that, yeah, you did do it and you did say it, but would you say it now? Mm. You know, like as you've become more aware or sensitized to these types of cultural feelings and movements about it and your education has progressed since that time, should you still be punished for it? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that's another deep topic. It is um, a very deep topic. But I think in regards to the social media and what you post, I think that anything that requires context mm. or needs explaining, you need to do within the original post in a way that if any part of it were captured, the context remains. Mm. Right. And, and I think, Keeping that in mind is important for the integrity of what we do. Yeah, it's tricky because you know they see that stuff in Finland recently. Yeah, I'm certainly not defending those people. Like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Am I defending those people? But I watched it. I don't speak Finnish, so I was pretty uh, limited in what I understood. Yeah, but there were certain parts of that where I would say, "Yep, straight up, that's terrible." Those people shouldn't be allowed to own dogs, right? They don't know what they're doing. They're fucking, you know, all the normal shit, mm. right? But there's other parts of it that I'm like, oh, like that's dog training. Mm -hmm. Like that's normal. For those type of dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in particular, there's one part where, and this is what sort of really comes to mind, where a dog gets isolated and we don't see the context of what the dog did, but it's in the healing. And all they do is string the dog on the flat collar in two directions. So the mm. dog's actually just being stopped doing what he wants to do. He's not under any pressure. Mm. It's not, there's no tools. And that's, that's another part of the issue over there is that they have, they're not allowed to use tools. So they start using their hands. Right. So I'm not defending that. I'm not saying that's okay, but there's parts of it where, they were showing that this abuse and it's just a dog being held on a leash mm -hmm. and the dog's having a tantrum because he wants to be doing the work that will lead to reinforcement. Yeah. 
and he's, they're using negative punishment, mm. right? They're just stopping him being able to do what he wants to do, right? And of course, the dog is, you know, and I do that to dogs all the time. And dogs, the first time I did that to Remy, he fucking hit the floor and gator rolled because he's like, no, I'm stronger than you. Mm. I will outpower you. And if you just saw that, then that looks like the dog's being abused, mm. right? But he's doing that to himself. He's literally just being stopped. That's yep. all. Like he's just on a flat collar to a leash. It's like a kid when you walk through the candy aisle and they throw themselves on the floor and scream and yell to try and get their way to get candy in the trolley. Yeah. So mm. the issue then is a three-second clip of that with no other context could portray anyone, even totally force-free trainers, as abusive because we're not doing anything there other than holding a dog on a leash and preventing it from doing what it wanted to do, mm-hmm. right? And there's a clip of that in that video. And so it's a really tricky situation because I absolutely don't want to be defending people who are hitting on their dogs and all that bullshit, right? I don't want to do that. But then there's also like, there's just normal dog training in that. And we, we need to, if I spoke Finnish, I would make a video about it. If I really understood, because maybe they're saying, maybe they say in the video, but this bit's okay. And then they, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. That's what they're saying. Mm. But I think that, we really need to separate that and have a voice to say, this is what real dog training is. And this is what's really happening here. And there's plenty of people more educated and better at this than you and I that could explain that. Mm. But the issue is you don't want a, the lynch mob coming after you. Well, even then at that point where there are better people who could explain it well, there's still be people who just won't accept it because it goes against their grain. Yeah, totally. Mm. Right. And that's one of the issues though, is especially when the lynch mob comes, they're not really interested in evidence. No, right? they're interested in justice or yeah. perceived justice. Yeah. Yeah. And they want to see someone hang at the gallows for that. Yeah. That's the dangerous part of it is that they are after somebody and anybody will do at that stage. And if you just happen to be in the limelight, you're the old Jono that they're after. Yeah. Interesting you're talking about this because, and I saw you appear in the conversation, I was talking to Joe Rosie and a bunch of people from the UK And we were talking about a similar sort of dilemma is how much do you really want to expose that you're in the bite sports to the rest of the world? So the dilemma is, is that bite sports done well and with ethical people is a great pastime for working dogs. Like they love it. They enjoy it. So do the people. You develop a good culture around it. The club um, flourishes and everybody has a good time. You get to compete. You get to raise the bar and the standards in working breeds and so forth. However, if you expose that to the rest of the world like they tried to do in Australia in the 90s with Schutzen and tried to get it recognised in the kennel club so they could see their titles appear on their pedigree. But they weren't going to have a bar of it because they didn't understand it. And I don't believe that it was explained as thorough as it needed to be. I think the working dog group felt that they did a great explanation of it. However, the people that interpret it didn't interpret it that way. They believed at the time that their Bichons and their Corgis and so forth would have to have a working dog title because that's the way that they construed that conversation. So that led to some pretty bad fallout and some problems around the community where the government started to step in and say, well, we better big brother this now because this is you know, now an ethical dilemma and the public are screaming about it. So we have to come in and start rewriting some laws where they did and it became very invasive. And that's the problem for those type of things is poorly explained or even explained or even heard from a perspective can then have some serious repercussions on you and that group down the track. So you you just need to be careful about that type of thing. 
for starters, their problem was trying to get involved with the kennel club who don't want that. Exactly. They're not peas in a pod at all. Yeah. One thing that is amazing to me in human behavior, let alone in, you know, the dog world, but in human behavior in general, is the way people try and create masters for themselves. Mm. It is fucking amazing mm. where people try and create something you can freely do. Go ahead, do it by yourself now. They want to put themselves in a position where they have to ask for permission to do that in the future, which mm. is fucking madness. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, I think this is one of the, the reasons that PSA was the fastest growing bite sport in the world is because it's small government. It's very, there's very little permission you need from anybody to do anything. Yep. They have a set of rules. This is how the trial goes down. But how you train is up to you, mm. right? There are local laws that will restrict how you train. And that's frankly none of PSA, the headquarters business, Yep. right? And the actual government of wherever you are will decide what is cruelty, what is allowed, mm. all that. Bunch of people who just want to play dog games together have no business imposing restrictions on each other, mm. arbitrary restrictions on what dogs can fuck what equipment dogs can wear, like that is madness. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it is amazing to me. Like I'm often, every time people say, you know, loads of people have said in Australia, like, are you going to try and get PSA recognized by the AKC or that? And I'm like, why? No, absolutely not. Mm. Like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Like I could give two fucks what they think about PSA because it's none of their business. They have no, I'm not anti them, but I'm not interested in creating a master for myself. Exactly. Like that is, that is insanity. I don't know why anybody cares about that when they're like, oh, I want the titles on my pedigree. Well, for starters, your pedigree is fucking fake anyway. If you're getting titles on the dog, your pedigree is not worth the fucking paper it's printed on. And you want titles, like you print them out yourself, <laughs> right? Like it's irrelevant and put up the video. Post the fucking clip of the trial and then people know how it went. You mm. don't need it on the paperwork, right? Like it is, it's in fucking sanity. When you're talking about that subject matter and talking about going back to social media and what you're putting on there, like your whole reference point about thinking about what you're putting up there. Like I copped some flack recently off some random person who followed me and then unfollowed me was saying to me, oh, I thought you were a tough guy and that you're involved in all these bite sports and all I see is like Frenchies doing stupid things and stuff like that. But, and I said to him, dude, I'm not your wind up monkey. Yeah. You know, like I'm not here to dance for you on command and I don't want to put things up online, which people can then misconstrue. I put things up that I think are funny and amusing and stuff like that. Like I don't want to then have to explain why my dog is doing this and have conversations to 3 a.m. to people in the morning, like when they're seeing it and they don't understand it. And then I have to spend that time explaining it to that person, then copying and paste it to another person and then to another and another. But that's my choice. And I know other people like doing that. If they've got all the time in the world to explain that, no problem. But for me, I just don't want the headache. Mm. Yeah. And I've been involved in bite sport for like I entered my apprenticeship in bite sports or bite training, you know, like that's how I entered my career in bite sports. I've been doing it on and off for 30 years. Like I've been really progressive in, in sports and being involved in a lot of clubs and helping clubs and, you know, standing up for their rights and marching for them and doing all that sort of stuff. But I don't need to wear that crosshair on my head. And I know some people do, and I'm not, this is not me shit mouthing them at all or, or talking bad at them. It's just that I don't have the time to explain myself to people that want to know, you know, like, why are you doing that? Or what's the dog doing here? Or what's this for? I just feel that it's just too occupying for myself. Yeah. And it is hard. Like context is everything. And when you, 
you can rob anything of its context by mm. getting a clip or whatever, you know. A very famous one is there's a clip of a guy, it's a police dog biting a dude and it's a hell of a bite. It's back teeth, yep, got right the guy in. on the forearm and the handler's having a hard time getting him off. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it's one that gets around all the time and it's like, why can't he tell him to out? Why doesn't he have control of the dog and all that kind of stuff? Mm. And there's loads of reasons for all that. Like, the you know, that case in particular, you know, he was it was found to be good to go. Mm. Like, like, of course- he has to face the music over that. His hierarchy see that video. There, there's big brouhaha about it, but it was all fine to be above board. Like that's how it is with dogs. That's the reality of the situation. He's not allowed to out that dog. He's got, got it hard out it. That's their procedures. Like yep. he has to choke the dog off to maintain control of the dog and all mm-hmm. these kinds of things. And it takes time to do that. And, you know, the truth is like, even though that bite was going for longer than most people would probably like, it's much better that the guy doesn't get a new set of holes by adding the dog in a less efficient way. Right. Yep. It's much better that the dog stay on there for, so that's the kind of thing that gets left behind. And we can't provide the context of that to everyone. When you go, I know you think that it would be better if he told that dog to out, right, from distance, or if the dog out at the moment he put his hands on him or whatever. But the reality is that's a dog that, as far as he's concerned, is in a fight for his life or sees the other guy as his his prey. Mm. And, you know, like there's many reasons the dog is so committed to that. And the safest way for me to get that dog off is to do so slowly and effectively in a way where the guy doesn't get a new set of holes. Yeah, well, I treat two trauma areas when you can treat one. Exactly. And Mm. that bite- over the next, if it's a five second bite or if it's a 15 second bite, mm. those 10 extra seconds are not going to cause more damage than a new set of holes mm. would. So this is the safest thing for everybody involved. But that's really technical, right? Like that takes some really right. I understanding. Mean, even, even then that's like the abbreviated version. Yeah. Like the very abbreviated version of that explanation. Yeah. So we've just told somebody like in – you know, three to five minutes, what really is probably an hour or more conversation around that whole procedure. Yeah. Mm. And I think it can be really difficult, as you say, who's got the time and the and it's impossible to do that. The issue with social media is it gets spread everywhere yep. and you can't explain that, right? Like you mm. can't put that into every opportunity you get. Ted from Working Dog Radio, he's the one that I see commenting on that the most, right? And he probably has the response cut and paste, like puts it in because he knows, like, no, this is the procedure there. This is how that yep. went down. This is exactly how it went. But you can't, he's not everywhere, mm. right? And so it's a real tricky because that's not like somebody posted that. That was a, a bystander that filmed that and that's how it made it on there. So they didn't even understand the context. It's not a working dog person putting up a video that's been misconstrued. It's mm. the public putting that up. But it, it's very tricky. I think that we're in a real position where everything that everybody does is under scrutiny all the time. And a snapshot, you can portray anybody as anything that you want, mm. right? Like you can even, like I say, even the most staunch force-free trainer even the people that are extremist at the end of that are not going to let a dog bite someone rather than just hold the leash, mm-hmm. right? And if the dog is committed to biting someone and they just hold the leash on a flat collar to stop that happening and the dog does a gator roll because they're so pissed off about it, 
that snapshot in time and I can it doesn't even need to be photo I can show you three seconds of video of you just holding on to a dog the look on your face is going to be like you're going to be teeth gritted and that's from the exertion you're trying to do to stop the other person but I can say that that's from you looking angry right or that you're trying to hurt the dog you can convey whatever you want exactly you Mm. can portray it however you like and so I think that's sort of the issue that is that snapshot in time is really it's not necessarily accurate and that's why I want to do my bite sports in private because I want to enjoy what I'm doing and not explain it to the world and don't feel like I'm on trial for everything that I'm doing. Me and Randy like to go out there. We like to do it. We like just to be efficient in what we're doing, have some fun, enjoy myself, and then it's done. Like I don't have to sit there and explain everything that happened and break it all down and spend the rest of that evening and the next evening and the next evening and the next evening justifying to people who don't know what's happening and then say, well, it's happening because of this and it's happening because of that. Because when I have done that in the past, it comes under scrutiny. It might not be negative scrutiny, but even the positive scrutiny, I just thought this just takes too much time. Mm. Time that I just really don't have to compete in that space because- Too busy on Clubhouse. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. It's a very tricky one. I think the issue is as well with what happened here is like, that's where I was going with asking the Kennel Club for permission is- People don't want shit crammed down their throats. Like Mm. it's you do you. And when people come looking, that's where you go, okay, like I will explain it to you. I will 100% explain it to you. But it's when people start getting up and going, hey, everyone, we want this, right? And we want you to accept this. You have to accept this of us. Mm. Then people go, dude, I didn't even know you were doing that. No way I'm going to fucking accept that of you, right? Whereas what you want to do is just do your own thing. And then when people go, how dare you do that? Then you go, okay, sweet, hang on. Like, this is the reality of that situation, Mm. right? And like I said earlier, you just can't do that all the time. You don't have the opportunity to be explaining context. And so that's why I always, you know, live by, I try really hard not to post anything that needs me to explain any more than what it explains for itself. Yeah. Because you you will not always get the opportunity to do that. Mm, Absolutely. (sighs) Tricky. It is a tricky subject. I don't think that scrutiny is just around social media. I mean, it's certainly been in printed press since that was in vogue back in the day. Yeah. The trouble with that is that there was no counter argument to it. Like there was no opportunity to explain yourself. Like you just, somebody yeah. took a photo of you, wrote a bunch of words or, you know, a few paragraphs about it and they could have whatever slant they wanted to. And you just had to accept that you made the headline today for whatever reason the press wanted to portray you. Yeah. At least- with social media, there is some kind of right or reply, not when you've got like millions of angry mobs after you, you you're pretty much fucked then. But in a situation where you do have a right or reply, you can answer your critics back. I guess that is fairer than what the mainstream media, you know, like that really is a jaded view because they control the off button. And that's more about, you know, some celebrity taking directions from an editor or a producer in the back room saying you will say this and you will go after this person and all their job is to do is look good you know like they're a charismatic attractive person and they basically go blah 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 this is what happened and this is what we're going to say about that person and there is no right to reply whereas in social media it's the audience that you're talking to Mm. you know like you're talking to the consumer at their end so at least you do get to have your say, even if it's a trial by fire, at least you do get to have your say. And that's why, you know, like to spin this back onto the topic of influencers versus dog trainers, that's why I do like it when I'm reading content on any of the platforms 
where you do have a open-minded influencer who also realizes that I'm not the one giving the answers. I'm a conduit and it's coming through me because I'm going out there and finding people. So even though I am using it as a marketing platform, I'm also using it as a hub and spoke sort of thing that I can go out to the public and say, what do you want to see and what do you want to learn about? And then I can go and speak to those people and bring it back. So when they're gathering an audience under that banner, I salute them. I'm looking at them thinking, yeah, you're doing it for the right reasons. Like you're trying to create a network where people can have a gathering space to learn about good information. Whereas when I see it where it's just purely vanity metrics, like people who are just like clocking the numbers up and then giving that piece of advice that either they came up with or that, as you said before, it's just the one source of information that they've got, you know, like a an affinity with or a bias around and that's their only source that they're drawing water from, man, that that is ugly news sometimes. Mm. And I think the call to action there is if any of those people are listening and if you're offended by this, it's not meant to offend you. It's meant to ask you to lift your game. Yeah, but they're not listening because there's no one, there's no one that's doing that that is listening to us. Sometimes they do. Only if someone sent them like, hey, they were probably talking about you, listen to this, right? There's no way because people who are actively <laughs> listening to us – are doing all, all right, right. Yeah. and engaged. Yeah. yeah. Switching lanes for a little second. Speaking of Clubhouse again, I was on with Jay Jack the other day mm-hmm. and we were in a room. There's probably about 20, 30 people in the room. And just out of the blue, people started talking about the podcast. And someone said to Jay, you know, like, what do you think of the canine paradigm? And Jay turned around and he goes, it's the best dog training podcast currently, in my opinion. We should get that on shirts. I was, yeah, yeah. But I was really blown away. I know that we're doing good stuff and I'm not constantly patting ourselves on the back because, you know, there are other podcasters out there who do do some good episodes from time to time and, you know, their content is good. And it's the same with us. Like we have an, you know, like you and I have talked about before, it's like tracks of a record. Sometimes you have an A side and sometimes you have a B side. Things will resonate well with some people and others will resonate with a different crowd. And sometimes you get good feedback and sometimes you get bad feedback on an episode you put out. To hear that from Jay, who has been a big influencer himself in a lot of things he's done with dog training conversations with Chad Macken and his GRC dog sports. I'm giving him a plug as well, but you know, I believe in their work and I believe in them as people. Mm-hmm. To hear that back from people who, you know, we sort of catapulted off where they launched the dog training podcast and we're in that space now, that was really heartfelt information to get back like it really hit me in the feels yeah that's cool so i'm just saying to jay thank you very much for your belief in us and it gives you the the inspiration you need sometimes like when you're wondering and i do sometimes when i'm sitting there editing it and it's late at night i'm thinking you know is all this effort worth it it is i feel that what you and i are doing and the community that we're growing around this and the people that we're bringing on the show it absolutely is worth it because we're we're making it inclusive and we're doing it for the right reason in trying to raise the bar for people. That's my opinion anyway, and that's mm. what I feel about it. So for everybody who's given us feedback or got on their social media or sent us a message, I really appreciate what you've done. I take, I really appreciate that you're taking the time to to say thank you because not as many people as you, you'd think do say thanks, and that's because people think, oh, other people are saying it, so I don't need to. People are quick to spread bad news around the world. Like they say, you know, bad news will spread twice around the world before good news gets out of bed. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I I want you to flood us with messages of, you know, like you guys are great and doing the big circle jerk thing. But it is nice to get that unexpected gift at an unexpected time. Mm. So thank you very much. The thing that has really 
motivated me the most and inspired me to continue is when people just say like, hey, I was in a real dark place or whatever and something you guys Holy said, shit, yeah. like help me with that. And mm. I've talked about, I was at an event once and, well, it's actually happened a couple of times, but I've actually had people say bizarre things along the lines of, you know, that they're literally- On the edge. Yeah. Mm. And something you said just sort of turned them around or gave them a reason not to or whatever. And so you can sometimes hear, sometimes people say like, ah, oh, fuck you guys and all this. And you go, yeah, well, I'll put that in the pile over there of the people who don't like us and all. Yep. And the, the pile of like- one person that's alive because they heard something, you know, like that, that really outdoes your yeah. pile of negativity. So thanks. Thanks for your concern. Very, very good point. We do need to talk more actual training stuff though, rather than just our own thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it going that way. Mm. You know what I do appreciate when we're talking about influencers versus trainers mm. is how good some people have been able to become just from all the free content that's out there. Yeah. Right? Hell yeah. yeah. So it's pretty awesome when you see some people with their, you know, that are just enthusiasts or whatever, they've got their pet dog or whatever. And from just digesting all the free content that's available all over the internet mm. have, you know, achieved really great success. Up with their game, yeah. And I think that what's been really interesting over the last probably 10 years of social media content in the dog training space is that People have gone away from the teaser information to the full chunk, mm. right? So it used to be a lot of the times people were kind of like, hey, here's a third of the picture designed to confuse you and entice you to want to hear the rest, which mm. you're going to have to buy from me. You don't really see that anymore. I feel like that's not really a very good marketing strategy anymore. People just go, oh, fuck you, right? And they don't go through with it. Mm. What seems to work, and I'm glad that this is what works to make money as well as what works for the community, is the whole lot. Just give away like pretty much everything mm. because what people end up doing, like, and this is quite well known in, you know, all like, and, and again, it like it's what I've learned online doing a lot of these clubhouse marketing rooms and stuff like that is that's what they really encourage is give it all away. Because it comes back. You can't give everything away and go broke. Well, people want to, the nuances after yeah. that. They want to say, okay, I'm seeing how you're doing it, but I need a breakdown. Yeah. Like I need you to, to break it down in increments and digestible amounts that I can then follow along with it. So can you tailor make this for me? Yeah. Take the very top end dog trainers. Their information is really not what they're selling. It's them mm. that they're selling. Yeah. So they can give all their information away. What they sell is access to them, mm. right? So, like, I think that's wonderful because then there's so many people you see who really don't have either the money to access them or the opportunity to do it, can download some of their content, see a bunch of their content and go like, right, got it. Like, that will plug the hole. That will make me and my life with my dog better. Yep. And it's really interesting to me when you you see people who are really good on the tools that want to guard that content, but then also talk about how the most important thing in the world to them is the welfare of the dog. Mm. And it's like, well, it can't be, mate, because like you can't guard your content and not share it and carry on that everybody should know what you know, mm. like, and put it behind a paywall and say, if you don't do it the way I do it, then you're harming dogs. But if you want to learn how I do it, you have to pay me. And it's like, well, those two things are non-congruent. They don't go together. Yep. If you really think that your way is the only good way, you need to put that out. But you see less and less in that these days, mm. less and less people doing that. It's just like, hey, here's all the info. Here's how I do it. Here's step by step. Here's the walkthrough. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's just a walkthrough 
talking or maybe it's snippets of the information. It's, you know, it's stuff like that, but it's like, here's the process. And if you're good on the tools and, and in that way, the only people that are, so not the only people, but it, it would be your competitors that go like, oh, that's a piece I understand wholeus bolus because I'm as good as you and I have the same skill sets and whatever. And now I go like, oh, cool. Like that's the 1% that I can add to that and understand. Mm. But for the general public, it lifts the game of dog training everywhere. And it's one of the cool things I really like about the way, say, Michael Ellis now on Instagram puts out like clips that are explaining stuff. So then that gets shared around and people go like, oh, okay. Like that's a guy who really knows what he's doing, talking about nuance and intricacies of dog training. And Mm. so then when you then see someone else that's like, no, this is it. This is how it goes. If your dog isn't doing this by six months, it's not going to work out. It's like, mm. maybe like here's a really is that fact or opinion. Yeah. Mm. Well, and the problem is for them, it is fact because that's how it's gone for them. Mm. Right. And twice because they've only had two dogs. So it's like, that's a fact because uh, from my sample pool of two, it's, Worked out twice. But that's what I'm saying. It's you, it may be fact to them, but it's opinion to other people yeah, who have that's right trained but, more dogs. But they are able to present it as fact, and mm. there's not like they would pass a lie detector. They're yep. not lying. Yeah, I they're, get it. Yeah. They're truth. Mm. They're telling the truth, but it's just not necessarily accurate. Yep. And then you get people who really, really know stuff putting it out there and it just gives cause for thought. And that's sort of what I'm obsessed with. And and if I can contribute anything to the dog training community, it's less about like my skills of training dogs, but more just say like, hey, let's think this through. Like Mm. there's other ways to think about this. It's very rare that anything is absolute. Mm. I think, you know, it's one of the advice I try to give people a lot is, you know, don't speak in absolutes about things that are not absolutely true. And everybody is coming at things from different sort of perspectives and you need to be able to, you know, understand how did you get to that point? I think that's important. And we do that with the dogs as, as more than ever, we need to try and impose that onto people where we see a dog and we go, okay, like you're doing this behavior because of a whole life circumstances that has led you to do that, right? And it can be really interesting to try and analyze that. And as dog trainers, we love to do that with dogs and then go, okay, is this genetic? Like, is this hardwired in you, you know, or have you learned this? What's going to be my process for fixing this in you or, or changing this in you, right? And then that's a fun investigation to do. And we seem to very rarely, if ever, get angry at the dog as we're doing it, right? Because we go like, okay, like your whole life's experience, you were selectively bred, right? So we can look at your genetics and say, okay, do your parents do this? Is this a hardwired thing? Can you even tell me why? Like if we could talk, would you even be able to explain why you're doing this? Is this something you're aware of? Is it something that just happens? Okay. Yes or no? Answer that all right, what set of circumstances could have caused this? How are you being reinforced by this? Mm. What has led you to think that this is the right thing to do in this moment? And we can do that like literally with every behavior when we look at you know, whether the dog barks at the front door when it gets knocked on versus technically how did the dog stand from a down, right? Like we can look at all those things and we can break it down into really minute things. It cracks me up at my house because Valerie guards the door like crazy. Knock on my door, she barks, goes ballistic. But that's a learned trait, right? So because she used to live with a dog that did that all the time because the dog was a very defensive guarding style dog. And you can see in her when she does it, she's like confused about why the fuck she's doing it. But (laughs) she knows like it was imprinted. This is what you do. And then you see Remy who really could fuck you up. Like what's Valerie going to do to you? Come in the house, right? Like, And and she wants you to come in. She loves everybody, right? Mm. But she still barks that like you have to get out of here, big defensive bark. 
you see Remy and he's like, come on in, bro. And if he were inclined, he really could hurt you, mm. right? But he doesn't guard the house or he doesn't bark at the door. So like that in itself is super interesting to me when you then pick that up and apply that to sort of human behavior and you see people that are barky at any intruder. Yeah. Well, mm. but so, okay, like here's some new information and they start barking at you over how dare you present that information. You go, ooh, that's interesting. Is that a genetic trait? Or is that imprinted? Did you learn that from someone else? Or have you prevented something like, is that reinforced, right? Yeah. Did you feel like you survived a situation because you knew you barked at someone in the past, right? If you And so replace bark with be rude to. Mm. So now when someone's rude to you, you can go, oh, interesting puzzle we have to fucking solve here. And then right? they turn around and go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's, this is what I think we should be doing more of is then when, you know, with dogs, we know hundred percent, we look at it and we go, okay, how'd you get to this point? Well, mm. What are the contributing factors? And then when someone's rude to me or fights back against something that's obvious or stuff like that, right? I can go, oh, here's a little, here's a little puzzle for me to solve, mm. right? How'd you get to that point? And it's only relevant because if I want to continue the dialogue with you, then I have to work through that in order to show you that that's not the appropriate behavior for this moment. Exactly the same as we do with the dogs, mm. right? Like I got to say, hey man, that's not what I need from you in this moment. Like what I need from you is to like, and if only you could say this, but while the person's saying like, no, I'm not open to that information, right? We then have to go, okay, how, how is it that you came to be not open to that information? Is this a genetic trait? Am I going to be able to change that in you, right? Or is this imprinted in you? When you came into the dog industry, was this something that was you was told to you that you've got the best information and nobody else is going to have anything good to say? Or have you been given bad information and now you're resistant to new information because you got new information once and it, it fucked you over and you were essentially punished for having used it. So like that to me is a lot of fun to try and figure out, but not only is it fun, it's very functional because then I can be like, okay, how do we work through this together? Like, how do, you, do we do it? Do you think some of those traits that you're talking about are largely genetic or largely learned behaviors though? Well, don't know. It's part uh, of the investigation. Yeah. And mm. I, it, genetics is a tricky one because it's hard to sort of say to people like, hey, what's the rest of your bloodline like? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you got a brother that acts like this? What, what's going on, right? Mm. And even then it's hard to then separate genetics from environment with people because it's like, you know, you're raised in the same home, you have the same parents, whereas with dogs, if, if you see two dogs that have had you know, they have the same parents, but they have completely separate upbringings and they both display similar traits, then we go, okay, probably genetic, right? Mm. Whereas in people, that's kind of hard because we stay in the family usually, mm. right? So it's it's fun to sort of figure that out. But instead of, that's what I try really, really hard and I fail a lot, but I, I try really, really hard to then go like, okay, how did we get to this point? Right. The questions must be asked. Yeah. Mm. So, and I don't need to be confronting with you when I ask it, but for me, I'm solving that little puzzle myself so that I can say like, okay, like how are we going to work through this? Mm. Right. What is it that you need to, what's the way that I need to present this information for you to accept it or at least ponder it. Right. Mm. And it's not that I need to, I don't need you to accept my information. I need you to hear it or I don't need you to do anything. But if we're bothering to have the conversation, I want to find the right way to present my information that is the most likely to land. Hmm. What a mouthful. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm. It's a lot. Got anything else? No, I think that's that's a good place to leave it. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah. That was a good discussion point, something that was on my mind, and I'm glad we sort of covered over it. And to the people out there who are influencers are doing a great job, 
and supporting our show as well. Thank you for everything because it's well received and respected that you guys are doing that and you're trying to raise the ceiling because in some ways we're influencing people through the canine paradigm and that's the ambition and goal and protocol of what we're trying to do in the show is try and help people raise the ceiling in, in what they're doing, create awareness, yeah. have discussions, educate ourselves. Like we're on a journey and we're trying to take you on that journey as well and encourage you guys to ask more questions. And I think Joe Rosie was talking about it again the other day in one of the one of the clubhouse rooms where she said, if you're truly a part of the scientific community, and even if you haven't got qualified or not, but if you're truly part of the scientific community, you should be curious. You should be asking questions and you shouldn't be, you know, just told to shut up or be silenced or anything like that. Like you should be allowed to have access to that information. And that's what I would, I have told people to shut up in the past because I've been limited on my knowledge and so forth. I'm ashamed of myself for doing that. Like, I think that was stupid, but that was the early version of me. The new version of me now says to people, be curious, ask the questions. Mm. And if people aren't able to give you a sufficient answer, then move on and go on a pilgrimage. I effectively did that throughout my dog training career is I went on several and varied pilgrimages to find out from different people what is it that makes a dog's brain tick and how do I tap into that? Like, what am I supposed to do? And not only dogs, but how do I tap into the person on the other end of the lead? Like, how do I better my relationship with them and how do I impart what I'm trying to impart on them without offending them or driving them out or secluding them or whatever it is? Like, how do I give accurate information to them and how do I better myself as a trainer? And I can proudly say that, I'm still learning about that now. I think that's wonderful, you know, still being curious and still having passion in the field and still enjoying these conversations with people and still, you know, like being part of the audience sometimes and just shutting the fuck up and listening to, you know, great conversations that are going on around you that you don't have to open your mouth in. You don't have to interrupt or be a part of that. You can just be a passenger in in a wonderful conversation and come away with it thinking, shit, today I learned something. Mm. Last thing I want to say on influencers is, and like I say, that everyone that's listening to this is already doing this, if, mm. if they are. But like overwhelmingly, when you hear about it, say an Instagram influencer, you're using that influence to make money, which is fine, mm. right? Like, cool. Yeah, so you, so you sure. can make money ethically. That's, and you th- there should be no shame around that. Yeah, and and the idea is that you like that term came about because they can influence people's spending habits and stuff like that, right? Mm. Like they can endorse a product and then yep. people are likely to buy it. They don't have to directly say, go buy this. Just being seen with that influences people to want to buy it, right? Yep. So I think there's a responsibility that comes along with that then is to be truthful about the dog training aspect. If you're in the dog space as an influencer, realize that you influence people to feel a certain way about their dog. And if you hide the struggles that you go through with your own dog, or if you infer that your dog just is magic and just came out the way that it is and that nothing ever goes wrong, Mm. then you really, it fucks with the brains of people who are watching you and saying, well, I can't do that. My dog is causing all these problems, right? I have all these issues with my dog and there's no way out for me because the influences that I see are only talking about the good and never acknowledging the bad. Mm. Here I am stuck with all this bad. And so there's no way out. And that's why I think it's as simple as when they say like, Hey, like we had an issue, we got a trainer and this is the guy. And, and that's like I say, you see that all the time with the people who are in our community that are that 
whether they're making money from Instagram or not, but have the big following when they they have issues and they acknowledge the trainers that have helped them and, mm. and they grow the network of those trainers. And But more than anything, they influence their audience to look at training and acknowledge dogs need training yes. rather than just they work out just perfectly, right? Because I think even – so for some people, the dog just does work out just perfectly, mm. but – They're unicorns. Yeah, well, but also – it's not healthy for the people whose dog isn't to yep. then think there's something wrong with me. Yeah, and, and, and my it can't dog. and it mm. can't be worked through. Yeah, right. Like everything can be worked through yep. to an extent. Mm. Anyway, that's it. Yep. All right, I'm wrapping it up. Mm. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Especially if you're an influencer. Yeah. Share this. Yeah. Help us out. <laughs> yeah. Get us some vanity metrics on the gram. <laughs> Best way to do it is to get through whatever subscription service you download us from. Leave mm. a little review there. That really helps spread the show. Means that those platforms will show it to other people, and yep. hopefully we can we can pass give us the opportunity to pass on some good advice or what mm. we think is good advice. Another way, that if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you access to extra content in there. It's new things in there every month, plus some other things. Working on some stuff as well for future projects. Shout out to a few of the people who just gave us a bump in Patreon cash to help the show out for no reason other than just to help us out. Yeah. Not guilt tripping anybody about that, but I, I do want to recognize those people, even though they asked not to be publicly recognized. I do want you to know that both of us, Really appreciate it. We appreciate everything. Any support that people have given us, either by exposing us to a different market online or by helping us on Patreon and so forth, you guys are the best. You keep us going, you keep us enthusiastic, and you keep us curious. Yeah, what I will say, although we have Patreon and we like it when people give money to that, truly the best way to support the show is if you found something helpful, let us know. Yeah. right, Because then you get that feedback. That's our positive reinforcement. Absolutely. Teespring. Teespring. Yeah. Get some cool merch. I'm just about, I just asked Zoe Needy who did our latest um, with Montana, uh, her friend Montana. So both of them did a design for us for the cool story, show us your dog. I just asked for a minor alteration just on the text because I got some feedback from some people saying that when dark text is on a darker shirt, it doesn't show up. Mm -hmm. So I'm just getting Zoe to change that. As soon as she does that alteration for me, I'll bang it straight on Teespring and those new. So what you're saying is Zoe's the hold up? No, I was. <laughs> no, Zoe wasn't the hold up. It was me. I'll take the, I'll take the bullet for that one. Yeah. All right. So get a Teespring. Check that out. Probably by the time you're hearing this, it'll be out. Yep. And if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is jump in the Facebook group, jump onto the clubhouse. We've got a club now. Yeah, we've got the Canine Paradigm Club. So if you want to become a member of that and you are an avid listener in the show, uh, you can jump on the clubhouse, find the Canine Paradigm, request to be a member of the canine paradigm and we will start doing a little bit more content in there shortly. Yeah. And what I want to do is some of the, like the rooms that I enjoy being in are not just a like, Oh, how do you feel about that? Jono? Oh yeah, it's pretty good. Right. <laughs> like I can't stand that. So it's things that are a bit more productivity. Well, things that are a bit more structured. Yeah. I think that's what we need to start doing in there. Right. <laughs> Jono. Oh, Jono, I'm just trying to talk, man. How you going? Oh yeah. All right. I've got one, one little bitch I have to have oh, quickly. Going, Jono? Yeah. When people in the balance community get up to talk, they don't put down anybody else. But I have found in some rooms, other people will get up and say, I'm this, that trainer, and I do this, that, and the other. And it's kind of like, well, I'm excluding myself from this group. And I just don't think that that needs to happen. 
you know, especially amongst ourselves. We don't need to say that. We don't need to have that language in the room. I think we can just all agree that we're trainers. Again, I know I've given her so much airtime. Joe Rosie said the other day, why don't we just have it where we're saying there's good trainers and bad trainers out there and agree to agree that we're trying to help each other and help the community at large. So let's not exclude each other from good conversations. Let's be part of a great conversation together. Enjoy each other's company. We still can agree to disagree with certain subject matter and, and still part as friends. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's it. Goodbye. Bye.